with the tribe it's a new age groove one step at a time yeah we move to the tune while we're set in the style no it is what it is chamo new new high good vibes when we get down with the tribe it's a new age groove one step at a time yeah we move to the tune while we're set in the style no it is what it is hi najda how are you hi farah i'm good how are you good great are uh, you keeping warm this cold I'm telling you, everyone is trying their best to try yeah. <laughs> and stay warm. <laughs> it's so hard to get up in the morning when, you know, in this cold, but you got to do what you got but to do. But you got to do it. <laughs> huh? Huh? Yeah. But you got to do it, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I thrive in the heat. I'm a heat person. I love the heat and that's why I'm okay in Mombasa and all of them. But then Nairobi, it gets cold. I'm like a slug. <laughs> oh man this weather is that you know don't don't yeah we all yeah. love the heat you know we're the people of the sun <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So. thank you so much Nadja for joining me to the, uh, today for this interview okay, uh, for me. yeah we're so excited um, to talk to you today about pregnancy and learn about your journey and um, waiting for pregnancy so uh let's start it off um i'll let you introduce yourself tell us a little bit about yourself so that everyone gets to know who najda is okay so uh my name is najda i'm uh, born and bred in kenya i am an hr professional i do hr and marketing i also run a talk show called the big fat talk show where we talk about everything from body positivity and you know uh infertility i mean the the list is endless so that's why i was very excited to have this conversation with you i'm very passionate about kenya uh and you know being kenyan and the kenyan youth and women especially and um so i do a lot of uh work surrounding youth and women and i run i also run a food uh blog it's called food report 254 um so that's really exciting <laughs> and uh, yeah so that's me in a nutshell if i was to say that as a person i i consider myself very vibrant very headstrong i uh, like to challenge uh societal norms you know swim against the tide uh, all in a hope to have a better life for myself and you know better life for the for future women especially because I think the biggest victims of societal norms are women. So um that that's my passion. That's what I like to do. Amazing, Najda. Amazing. And I love you for being against the tide all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I learned so much from you honestly. Um so Najda, a quick one. And don't think about it. Najda in three words. Come on, let's go. Quick. So, uh challenger, advocate and vibrant game changer you game forgot changer. well challenger so game changer that's the right. word so game changer so i can say game changer vibrant headstrong yes definitely okay. amazing amazing okay so nasha how long have you been married so uh i've been married twice first of all my first uh, marriage ended in a divorce and i'm currently very happily married right now to uh 
to the man of my dreams. So in total, I've been married about eight years. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Um, and so naturally you yearn to become another, right? Um, please share with us your journey and what, uh, are there any uh, medical struggles you're facing or is it a personal reason? Just share with us your journey. Okay, so I think to start it off, I'd say first of all, one of the major societal norms and expectations is that since we were since we were kids you know for generations for as long as time women have been uh wired to believe that they are complete when they have kids that their life is to grow up as a a nice pleasant woman a young girl get married uh early settle down you know have have kids have a family be a great mother be a great, great wife, and that's what we've been taught since as old as time, right? So that's the biggest, one of the biggest uh, pressures that women face uh, as they're growing up. So from all the cartoons we watched and all the, you know, people around us and all the magazines you open, it's all about mm. getting married at a certain age, having kids at a certain age, you know, before you're too old, why are you waiting so long or what the right. issue is? So there's all this pressure and then you find yourself as an adult and maybe your priorities are different. Maybe you're thinking, I do want to become a mom or I do want to become a wife at some point, but I want to further my career first. At least I want to even leave career. Career is another pressure altogether. Maybe mm. I just want to be a good human being before I bring another human into this world. There's so many aspects that can make you think differently. And then they put you out of place because, hello, that's not what you were taught. That's not what you've grown up uh, around. So why are you different? So, you know, you have people who look at you differently, think of you differently. You start questioning your own decisions. Maybe I'm a bad human being. Maybe I'm not an adequate woman if I have these thoughts. Um, then there's the physical part of it where sometimes your body just can't have, is not uh, allowing you to be the mother, to be mm. a mother. Mm. Maybe, you, maybe the societal norm is actually what you want. It's not a pressure, it's a what you want. But your body's saying, no, you know, you have all these mm. issues. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a hormonal issue. Maybe it's just uh, an issue with timing. And, you know, as obviously as a Muslim, I believe that uh, uh, we, we, we believe that there is also the plan that God has put you on this earth and he knows what is going to happen to you, whether it's you're mm. going to have kids, so all those things really mm. do bombard you when you're faced with them because, frankly, we weren't taught what to do when you can't have kids. Or we weren't taught, you know, whether it's through the cartoons we watched or the magazines we, we read or, you know, things happening around us. People never spoke about the inability to have kids openly. Until today, mm. it's still a taboo topic to talk about. So as a young girl who's just gotten married uh, or, or as a woman like me in her mid-30s who's been married not once but twice and not having children, what are you supposed to do with this? What are you supposed to do with this um, this predicament or the situation that you're in? Because unfortunately, you learn now that many women much older than you, you were growing up around, 
had similar challenges, but no one talked about it. No one was open about it. So you have nothing to fall back on in terms of what you need to do. So I think that's the biggest problem you may face as a woman who wants to have kids but can't. Mm. Um, you know, it's all about uh, no one told me what to do. I don't know where to go. What do I read? What do I do? You know, so thankfully, mm. thankfully there's a new breed of women. You know, we, we, we're we lucky to be in living in a time where the internet is at our fingertips. We can learn so much about different, you know, uh, reasons why you can't get pregnant. You can read blogs about women who are trying to conceive but can't. You can, uh, you you can, there's so much information at our fingertips now that uh, for our generation that can help a woman go through, uh, you know, the struggle of infertility, for example and know that she's not alone. You have more women talking about it, you know, conversations like this podcast alone, just to be able to share uh, an experience and, you know, in the hope that you can, somebody can listen to it and also think, hey, I'm not alone and this is something totally normal. I think once yeah. we normalize, normalizing such conversations is so important because like I said, we were not, we were not raised or not uh, raised around uh, information like this so it it's it was harder for uh, for you know the generation before us and mm. even for us now because we are now setting the example so hopefully the next generation the girls who are going to you know be growing up come now after us, right. come after us will now have something that will grow up around a community that's going that they learned that they sat in a conversation once with their aunties and their aunties were talking about their struggles and they were strong about it. They felt good about it and they were not, they didn't feel inadequate about it. I think that's the main, that's the agenda here is, you know, to build a woman, to build, to to pave a path for the woman who is not afraid or doesn't feel inadequate because she can't conceive. There's so much more to being a woman, you know, than just to have a child. And uh, it's easier said than done. I think even for me to be able to have this conversation now, uh, it's after years of struggle and pain and grief. And it doesn't mean that because I can have this conversation now, I don't feel pain or mm-hmm. feel grief or, or yearn to have mm. what I want but can't have. But um, what keeps me going or keeps me strong in my uh, in my you know role as an, a woman who can't have uh, children naturally is my faith one you know have the faith in Allah and know that he has chosen this path for me but mm-hmm. also the faith in knowing that I am hopefully uh, part of the reason that there will be an easier path for women after us or girls who come after us so um, so I think that so back to your question I have been trying to conceive since the since my wedding night the first time you know it's never <laughs> for me I think I know a lot of women and which is still okay I mean if you want to hold on to having kids because you want to mm-hmm. first learn you know the man that you're married to and mm-hmm. learn about your relationship and build it and then decide to have a child after I'm all for that in fact you know I feel yeah. that in this day and age um not only this day and age I think for as long as time, you just need to know the person that you are uh, with and before you bring another child to this world because it's a huge mm. responsibility. Mm. Um, you know, coming from a Muslim background where we don't date 
you know, endlessly before we get married, we are, you know, uh, we are, uh, we are um, straight into marriage. Yeah, it's it's preferred that you do the marriage and then get to know the person. So mm. it makes sense that you know some women want to say, hey, let me get to know my husband first. Let's get to build this relationship and and know each other and have this time between each other. However, yeah. for me it was different. Before I got married, you know, I came from a, a divorced family and mm-hmm. I raised three of my younger siblings during this divorce because unfortunately we were separated from our mom. And mm-hmm. what happened is I felt like I was a mother at when I was a teen. You know, I raised three kids mm-hmm. and that meant everything from waking up early taking them for a bath, making their breakfast, dressing them up for school, packing their lunch, making mm. sure that dinner when they came home or snacks when they came home, all the while while I was studying myself and growing up myself and learning to be this teenager, you know? So it all happened so much for me that by the time I was married, I felt I've already had uh, raised three kids, you know? So I was like already, <laughs> but now I just want oh a child. That comes. Yeah, get it. So, and now it's different. So, you know, it's for me, it's like um, even now, eight years down the line after trying to have to conceive my child, my own, you know, one that comes from me, I still feel like a mother. I still feel like I've been a mother. I feel like I faced all the, you know, many, many mm-hmm. of the challenges mothers face today, like waking up. <laughs> kids in the morning who don't want to wake up or uh, making them nice lunches that are, you know, kids friendly, things that will make them excited to eat uh, healthy foods. I went through all that, but uh, obviously I'll never be looked at as a mother. Like still, you yeah. know, what do you, but you can't, Definitely. you can't measure up right. for mother. That's not the same thing. I'm looking at like, it's what true. do you mean? I may not have pushed them out of me, but you know, I had, the, I, I went through everything. I practically and, raised them. <laughs> Exactly. And um, so I've been trying. So I think when when I got married, I just like, okay, I'm not waiting. I don't want to wait. Uh, I know this is a new man in my life and I'm going to try and need to know him and build a relationship with him. But Mm -hmm. I've been wanting to be a mother and have my own child for far too long. So I didn't want to wait. So I've never been on any sort of family planning or, you know, a pill or anything uh, contraceptive to, you know, to hold on to pregnant, uh, to hold on before I get pregnant. No, I just Mm -hmm. went straight into it and Mm -hmm. we started and uh, Alhamdulillah, he also wanted to have kids immediately. So it was never an issue. I think uh, that's another issue that may arise. I I, I can't talk much about it because I never had it with either husband, the previous one. And now they both wanted to have kids immediately. So it was never an issue of uh, one spouse trying to say, no, I don't want uh, kids yet. Mm. I want to be. So um, uh, I've tried everything, you know, from the doctors to gynecologists telling me what I need to do, the tests I need to take. Mm. Uh, My husband's taken tests. We've all done everything. So when I was actually, before I got married, uh, about 14 years old, uh, through, you know, irregular menses and painful menses, we uh, I went to the doctor, I saw a gynecologist, and this was, I was 14 maybe, and he said, mm-hmm. okay, we did a few tests and scans and everything, and they found, okay, not just so, we've found some cysts on your ovaries, this is called polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, it explains your weight gain, it explains, you know, the irregular periods, so what okay. this means is that you're not ovulating uh, every month, 
you know, frequently like like a normal woman mm-hmm. should have mm-hmm. normal cycles mm-hmm. uh, of ovulation where, you know, the egg is released and it sits in the walls of the ovaries and it tears off into a period and da, da, da. So this okay. just means when you have normal periods that you are having ovulation normally. When you have polycystic ovarian syndrome because of the increased hormones, you're not having this. So that means that it will be obviously more difficult for you to have children. But since I was 14, I've been going through uh, numerous medications and tests and, you know, scans. And so now, um, I mean, not now, uh, many, many years ago, we found that, okay, the, the cysts are reducing in size and in number. So that's a good sign. Okay. However, still, it's not been able to, uh, I'm not been able to conceive. And so the issue here is that, um, <clears throat> So then, okay, let's check. Let's check my husband. So we checked my husband. The the gynecologist just checked him. He's okay. He clears out. He's fine. So then there's the issue of okay, maybe Najda, you're you're overweight. Of I'm I'm you know I'm a I'm a big girl. I'm overweight. Mm-hmm. I've been overweight mm-hmm. since I was born. <laughs> my mm-hmm. chart is obviously on the chart. But um, but the thing is, I have so many overweight friends who've had six, seven children. So I'm like, okay, but also I'm very. Oh. <laughs> yeah, very thin friends, you know, like much slimmer, slimmer, thin friends who are also struggling just as I am. Oh. So I think the struggle has been real. <laughs> There's been a lot of money and time and energy and emotion spent in all the, uh, you know, back and forth that comes with testing and scanning and all these things that happen. But um, it, but you see, when if you're in it to win it, so you need to kind of play the game and do everything that you need to do mm-hmm. so uh, so yeah that's that's how long I've been trying and uh, that's what I've been through uh, you know with the in terms of yeah. um, the polycystic ovarian syndrome also really has affected my weight for example so there's to to there's also been a lot of dieting and a lot of exercising and a lot of watch mm-hmm. what you eat and measure what right. you eat and not eating certain things. However, because of the hormonal imbalance, nothing works. So, oh. uh, you know, you just kind of um, have to just do what you can. Basically, that's the thing here. So once the, the biggest challenge is when you're doing everything. And you're doing it so passionately. You're following everything the doctor is telling you. Mm. You're doing more than what the doctor is telling you. But nothing, month after month, you know, um, bucket loads of pregnancy tests. Like every time you're trying to pee on a stick and you're sitting there dreading to see what the test result is. And it's negative after negative after negative. It breaks you down. Because I, like I said in the start, uh, you question your worth as a woman. Like, what the hell, you know? We've been mm. taught or we've been uh, conditioned, our minds have been conditioned to think that a woman is children. Being a woman is but the epitome. Exactly. Yeah. So the epitome of being a woman is being able to bring life into this world and mm. raise it into another human being and have another one and another one so that they can, you know, and, and have kids and be a mother and and go for soccer practice and go for, you know, uh, clinics and 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 have a nice van be, with a car seat and a and a baby pusher in your boot. You know that's like what you've been what what we've been conditioned to think. The right. epitome, the the top, the when you know you've reached the top as a woman. You know that's what we've been taught. So 
So here you are uh, not being able to conceive naturally, but on top of that, you're doing everything possible to try. But year after year, month after month, week after week, it's the same negative result. It's the same issue uh, of not being able to have kids. And so you start to question your worth. You start to question your faith. You start to wonder. You start to make up false you know, for me, I'm talking about myself, but mm. I have you know, spoken to so many women about this as well. Is You know, you one thing that you, you like when you're alone and there's this demon in your mind just making up stories about, oh, my marriage will break or what will people say about me or, you know, how will I go for this function? Because every time I go for it, everyone's asking me why I'm Not taking yet. <laughs> why I'm waiting. Exactly. And no, that's the most annoying thing is whenever you're faced with this horrible human being who's questioning you for not having kids, it's always, why are you waiting? That question resonates with everyone who's trying to have kids. Everyone who's struggling will tell you, anyone they meet will always be like, so why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? Mm-hmm. You know, don't you want to solidify your marriage? Again, another thing is they feel the anchor to a marriage is having a child. Even if your marriage is a horrible, you're not happy in this marriage. You're not uh, you're not content with this relationship. You're told have a child. It will make everything better. I think better. he will do that. Maybe he's beating you. Maybe you're in a you know emotionally or physically abusive marriage, you know, or and then the thing is no one no one focuses on no, have a healthy relationship, you know? It's always have a child. Even if your relationship is not healthy, have a child. And and no matter how happy you are in your marriage, how healthy this relationship is, they'll always look at it like, yeah, but what's the use? You don't have a child. It's oh. always that. So when you see it, you, you could be surrounded by people who are very vocal about it, always questioning you, always, you know, judging you for not having kids. Or always thinking that you don't want to have kids, you just want to focus on your career. I get that a lot from um, extended family, you know, like uh, oh, okay. or 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 distant family or friends. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you know, Najda is very, uh, she's a lot into her studies, or she's a lot into her career, and she really wants to build herself, and she wants to be this, and she wants to be that. That must be the reason she doesn't have kids, because apparently, kids hold you down. And I've never thought of children like that. I want to have children despite my career advancements, despite me wanting to be uh, to advance in my career. I want to have kids. And I never saw a kid as something that will hold me down. But because of the 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 feedback or the, you know, the lash outs I'm getting, it's almost like it looks like kids hold you down. And that's why I don't want to have them because I want to go for my career instead, you know. So uh, or you so I think that that's that's some of the things that you face. And they um, so, like I said, you could have very vocal people who tell you outright or, you know, you can walk in and uh, just have people look at you funny or something like, you know, like, like, oh, Gosh. Maybe she, yeah, like, oh, my God, like, is she, yeah, you get this a lot and it happens a lot. And it's not only in the Indian community. Trust me, I have friends or colleagues or my network from various communities, whether it's, uh, you know, Kikuyu, Somali, you know, Indian, Arab, it's the same thing all around. Mm-hmm. Uh, already they look at you first when you're, when you're a big-sized woman like I am, it's always, 
you know, she's obviously she can't conceive. She's too big. She's going to have complications. Or, uh, you know, number she two. She could never get married, number one. Yeah, I think that's exactly. number one. <laughs> yeah. How, how does a big girl get married? And then how will she yeah. get pregnant? She's so big. Or if you're, again, uh, as, you know, interested in advancing your career and being, you know, growing yourself and developing yourself, then again, of course, she's not going to have kids. She wants to put her career first. So there's always that. Um, and then having been divorced uh, and not getting pregnant in the first marriage and being divorced is, you know, like, oh, of course he'd leave her. Which man would want to be with a woman who doesn't want right. to have kids? Can't oh. have kids. Or maybe Gosh. he left her. <laughs> oh, you see, if she had a kid, he wouldn't have left mm-hmm. her. Like, I, you know, I become, so that's a whole other conversation for another time that because I was divorced now, I was left. I was rejected. I was, you know, thrown away. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. if I was to describe my divorce in one word, it would be, not one word. If I was to describe that divorce, it would be the best thing that happened to me. So the fact that it's been looked at as something bad that happened to me, I n- I've never seen it that way. Mm-hmm. You get it was it was a, a not a healthy relationship it was emotionally abusive mentally very abusive and mm. the and so me being able to disconnect myself from that person and that relationship entirely was a very good thing for me it is what built me to who i am today it's mm. what i celebrate it you know i celebrate the fact that i could have removed myself from it and i was removed from it by the will of god because i am a much a much better person today isn't that what we all strive to be a better person That's i'm a better person today because i'm not in that relationship mm. i met my husband my best friend you know this amazing man today because i'm no longer in that relationship so while you know while divorce is look like as oh my god she was left oh my god he left her like oh poor mm. thing for me it's never been that way and i celebrate divorce um for women and men who need to come out of toxic marriages you True. know that's why yeah. that the fact that it is an option uh it should not be ostracized people should not be ostracized for choosing to come out of a relationship or leaving a relationship that tox- that's toxic it's better for the both of the both of those people it's better even if you had kids in that relationship and it's better for the world in general that you know people don't turn out to be bitter abused individuals who go out and and spew that into the world in in you know in different ways so mm-hmm. um, so yeah i think there's a myriad of ways that women are looked at and thought of and ridiculed and bullied bullied is the word actually yeah. and <laughs> judged because of uh, not not being able to have kids mm-hmm. in in a time that society feels is good for them you know so this is the biggest issue um i think uh, i think um i think by now uh, our listeners must have are in awe of you and your strength literally um i i and i i feel like you're being vulnerable with so many things um number one your weight um your two marriages your first uh, divorce um openly sharing that you know it's not a bad thing um not being able to get pregnant um because of some uh, medical conditions and going through um 
several pregnancy tests and I I can't even imagine what that moment would feel like and you had to go through it I don't know how many times and I'm sure that anyone listening out there is just trying and wondering you know and I I really want to ask you this um how are how did you get to this point Nadja how how did you train yourself to pick yourself up each and every time whenever you saw the negative uh, results how did you gather yourself up again and okay let's go let's do this you know look at another day um please share with us um your journey i think um it would be it's it's so inadequate to just say that you know i i had sleepless nights and i cried and all that it's because it's so much more than that i can't explain it to you it the the you know you still need to get up and go to work you still need to get mm. up dressed up and go to the shopping center mm. uh, you still need to wash off that makeup uh, dress in put your nighty on and go to sleep and in the silence of that night you have to think of all the ways that it could be different if there was a kid and then you have to wake up in the morning and go through it all again uh you have to go to this when you're at the mall you 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 come across a mother with a baby in a in a you know in a in a stroller you come across a kid crying for a chocolate that they can't have you sitting in a meeting in a boardroom and someone says oh i i'm sorry i have to cancel this meeting my kid needs me at school something just happened anything for anything from you're just going through instagram and you see you, you know you have one of the sponsored posts and you mm. see somebody selling baby clothes or a, a swimming costume for a 2 month old baby and you're thinking oh my god that's so cute i used to go out and buy baby clothes every time every weekend i'd go out and shop for baby clothes this after 2 years of trying to have a baby and my closets used to be full of baby clothes and you'd go to them and think oh my god you had a kid and i'm like no i just collect baby clothes and 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 then now that i say it out i think oh my god like how sad is that but at the same time it gave me it it just it it was sad it was heart wrenching to see a woman who can't have children or who's trying to and can't have children buy baby clothes but at the same time mm. it was also hopeful and i think mm. that's what kept me going and that's what keeps me going till today the fact that i know that um infertile uh, mm. just just for the sake of the listeners and to put this out straight there's a very big difference between saying you're infertile and you're barren and i think when i had this i made this post a while ago on my instagram and facebook um i think sometime in 2019 and so many people on my facebook and on my instagram and in my inbox started saying nadja you shouldn't say you're barren you shouldn't say you can't have kids and i want to just say infertility is defined by the failure to achieve a clinical pregnancy after 12 months or more of regular unprotected sex that's what infertility is so if you've tried to have a child mm-hmm. uh through unprotected sex like sexual intercourse without contraceptives or condoms or you know stuff like that mm-hmm. and you've tried for over 12 months then you're defined medically as infertile so it doesn't mean that you cannot you're barren you can't have kids it just means that you cannot clinically get pregnant naturally you get what i mean so basically mm-hmm. one in eight mm-hmm. couples 
one in eight couples are facing it. Like 61% of couples do it in silence. They don't even talk about it. And uh, I think, like I said earlier, infertility brings out so much shame in women that we don't talk about it. And that mm. was one of my biggest issues in the past. Uh, Farid, I've said that in total, in both my marriages, I've been married eight years. And I think it's only the last two years that, or one and a half, at least there are two years that I've been able to now talk about it. And this is coming from someone other people consider as strong. I've been having uncomfortable conversations my whole life because that's who I am. And that's, you know, that's how I've been raised, like challenge the norm and stuff like that. But when it came to my inability to conceive naturally for so long, I couldn't mm. talk about it. six whole years. It killed me. That meant crying alone, you know, being bitter, being upset, mm. being angry, being hurt, being pained. And and that's the biggest issue is what the issue is shame. You just feel shameful. Shame, right. Shame. That's the word. Inadequate, but inadequate it translates to shame. I feel shame. Like I feel, you know, so much shame that I don't talk about it. I um I don't talk I didn't talk about my struggles. It's still kind of challenging to talk about it, but I've come so far that I'm actually having this conversation so openly. Mm. But I think because initially I was in denial that, you know, my body can't naturally do what it's created to do. I think that was my issue because I I succumbed to this mind conditioning that we've all been through, that you are, you, this is your role. This is your one single role as a woman when you come into this world is to be able to have. So when your body can't naturally do what it's created to do, you become in denial. And then, Mm. you know, it, it, um, even at the time that I couldn't, when I started having, you know, trying to have children, it took me years to be able to see, you know, be able to decide, okay, I need to go see a fertility specialist. I need to go see a doctor about this. Still, because I was in denial. You get mm-hmm. it? So because of that shame, you just keep it buried deep down and you're like, don't, no, no. You know, you just put it in denial. You don't want to face the shame. You don't want to face the consequences of what this means. So you just bury it and you pretend everything is okay and you just keep mm. trying and trying. And maybe even sometimes you let people believe that you you choose not to have kids just because you don't want to to have this conversation, you know? You right, don't want to tell people, right. you know how hard I'm trying. So, you know, I kept, then you then you come after the denial is over, you know, you start self-harming yourself. My body doesn't work. Maybe I'm not worthy to have a, ba- a, a baby. Maybe mm. I'm not worth being a mother. Maybe mm. God thinks I'm not going to be a good mother, so he's not giving me it. Uh, maybe I'm, you know, you, I can't get pregnant naturally. I'm worthless. I'm inadequate. All these thoughts now start coming up and they feel fill you you know with with vileness against yourself you start mm, mm. start feeling you know hate against yourself you start feeling an emptiness that that you can't understand and you know nobody can understand mm. you know that mm. no one will ever understand this emptiness how will they if i myself cannot understand this emptiness? So it's a roller coaster of emotions, Farah. It's it's very hard to talk about, and um, the the fact that there could be listeners, you know, who are going through this and uh, uh, and want to talk about it, but feel it's hard to. I would say it's fine. Let you know, it's it's something that has to play its course. Don't feel like you need to start talking about this or dealing with this if you're not ready to. I think 
I went through a lot and I'm grateful I went through that pain and that hurt and everything because through that, the person I am today was born. And mm. That's mm. The, and I feel like if I skipped that, I would be, it would somehow still be a denial phase. You get what I mean? Yeah, like yeah you have to exactly. appreciate. I feel like yes. let, let everyone's different. Everyone processes things differently. Mm. Um, what we are doing me and maybe many other women who are facing infertility who are talking about it what mm. they're doing is cushioning or allowing you allowing you the listener who is still not able to have this conversation allowing you to be in the phase that you are right now without the pressure of needing to be where Najda is right now do you get i get yes, you i hope yes. we just coming through and, and it's it has wish, to be that process you know of yeah, denial wish, and then anger and bitterness yeah. and then acceptance finally so it, it's a natural exactly. process and, and you like have to take time and it's okay even if it's you take, okay exactly yeah. it's okay to take time it's okay not to want to talk about it and i wish somebody yeah. told me because one of the biggest right. pains i felt when i was in denial or when i was self-harming myself with all these mm. words and bitterness yeah is I wish somebody could tell me it's okay to feel like this. It's natural. It doesn't make you less of a woman or less of a stronger person or less of an independent woman to feel broken or to feel pain or to feel grief or to feel all these things. It doesn't make you less of a person. In fact, a strong person is the person who understands that I can be broken. It's fine. You know, I choose to let myself be broken now so that I can, and and, and then I choose to heal and then I choose now to be the person that I'm. And I feel like if I if I had somebody who told me what I ex, what I said exactly right now, told me the exact same thing when I was going through this, I would still go through what I was going through, but I'd be at peace knowing, okay, so this is it's normal to feel this broken. It's normal to feel to question myself and all this, you know, kind of things. So hope so that's what I said. So hopefully, women like us who have this conversation are just making it. Uh, are allowing women to go through what they're going through and saying it's okay, but then hear our story and know that no matter how dark of an abyss you feel you're in right now, there is light at the end of the tunnel and you can come out gracefully and, you know, and feel feel adequate after this. So, Hmm. um, so like I said, it's a roller coaster of emotions. It's very hard to talk about. Hmm. And the thing is that the journey, no matter how close-knit your family is. And now this is something that I want to be very open about. And I, I find, I, I think that uh, I, I feel so blessed that my immediate family, you know, my current mother-in-law, sister-in-law, father-in-law, uh, my mom, my sister, my brothers, they've always been so supportive. And I think that um, many people have this, but many people also don't, don't. you know? yeah. You and have that's that husband who's sitting on your head saying, what the hell? I married you. I want to have a baby. Why can't you have a baby? You know, you have a mother-in-law who's always calling you. You have, you get this. There's a lot of that, and it's very hard. So that's why I say I consider myself very lucky. Alhamdulillah, mashallah, that I had, uh, I have a husband and you know, in-laws and uh, brothers and sisters and mom and a mom who's so supportive in terms of, you know, um, hey, we're with you. It's okay. Mm. But despite that, Farah, I still want to say, despite that this journey was so incredibly lonely still 
Do you get what I'm saying? Like and you it, have it, all the support. It has to be, Nadja. It has to I be know. because it's you and your feelings. I get and you have that, to go through exactly. that. Exactly. And I so, know that what, now. Yeah. Yeah. See, I know that now, mm. but at that time, despite having this support system that was so strong and and everything, it still is that journey was still, still incredibly lonely. Right. And the thing is that it should be because it's about you. Yes. You get it. Yes. So very yes. good, you have a support system. Very good, you don't have the pressure from your from your husband and and your in-laws and all that. Alhamdulillah, you don't have that. But that doesn't make this journey any easier because this is mm. a you're at war with yourself. You're at mm. war with your body. You're at war with your thoughts. You're at thoughts. war with exactly. You get what I'm saying? So it's yeah. very exactly. But. I think the, the the message here is to tell every woman facing infertility is that you're not alone. You may feel yeah. lonely and you need to feel lonely because these are demons inside you that you need to face yourself, which mm -hmm. is fine. But while you're facing those demons alone and feeling lonely, remember that you are not alone. There are women out there, just like millions of women before mm -hmm. you, million, millions of women after you. Infertility is not about to disappear. So it's it's a norm. And just because yeah. people aren't talking about it as much as they're talking about fair skin and straight hair and mm. and, and tie gaps, they're not talking it as, as much as those things. But <laughs> it, women are there. And uh, that's why I'm so thankful to you, Farah, and your platform and, you know, other women for having open discussions like this, for giving women the platform to have this discussion so that it normalizes it. it once it's normalized, then it mm. just becomes, you know, yeah. So, true, true. I love that you mentioned tiger gaps. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every time you open a magazine or you're just passing by a magazine place, all you're reading about is how to how to have a tiger gap or how to have the perfect body or how to have, you know, oh, just about uh, skin fairness creams and right. hair straight, hair straight yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's talk about um, medical breakthroughs. Um, and she must have heard your doctors must have suggested something or the other. And do you and your husband uh, talk about this? Had you ever um, uh, considered trying something else? Um, are there any medical breakthroughs? Tell us. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of once I think. <laughs> Uh, once you get to the point where you uh, achieved some progress with your own emotions and you're able to go see a doctor and you do those tests and the doctor tells you ABCD is the point. Uh, I think because conceiving now, you see there's the, the part where it's about your body and your thoughts and your mind and your inadequateness in lack of other words, but there's also this other person who's involved, your spouse, right? Your husband, mm -hmm. who's now involved in this process. And when I said earlier about healthy relationships, sorry, I'll get to you. I'm building towards the answer. Um, sure. When you talk about healthy relationships is at the end of the day, no matter how much you want a child and no matter how much you want to feel adequate as a woman by having a child, um, you need to know that the relationship that you're in, this other person that you're going to share this child with, the relationship that you have between yourself, you have a responsibility of bringing an entire human being into that equation. So mm -hmm. you, I think that um, part of, I feel like um, my 
delay in conceiving has also helped me strengthen my relationship and create an environment that's going to be conducive for this child when God blesses me with him. So I want to say that even as you go and like at the time that I was ready now to talk to my spouse, to my husband and mm-hmm. my doctor about other means of conceiving, you know, mm-hmm. uh, other clinical means of conceiving, I was uh, one thing that made me made it easy for me to do that was knowing that no matter which way I bring this child into this world, it's coming into a home that's conducive that into a relationship that's filled with respect and love and, you know, and, and, and has a future. And I feel that a lot of women try to, like I said earlier, try to use children to make their relationship better as opposed to make your relationship better than bring a child. I think it's extremely important to note. And I'm just raising it because that's what helped me come to the realization that now I want to go and consider other options because I'm happy with my, you know, this this delay in conceiving helped mm-hmm. me work on my marriage. And now I'm so happy with where this relationship is, mashallah, that I'm now ready to I'm now ready to go and look at other ways that I can have a baby because I'm ready to bring the baby into this equation. Mm-hmm. So um, there are a lot of ways that you can have uh, a child. And that's why infertility should not be the end of days, you know, judgment day. It's ended. Your life has ended. There's mm-hmm. so many ways. There's IVF. That's in virtual fertilization. That's, um, you know, where they you have the injection uh, hormones and then they take a couple of your eggs and the sperms and they, uh, you know, they they mm. fertilize the eggs and then put them back into you. That's got a very high chance of um, of um, a very high. Uh, what sorry uh, the word has just escaped me it has good re- good results uh, mm. unfortunately it it's it's high it possibility. Has, while, it has, while it has a very high possibility it is still a 50 50 chance and okay. unfortunately in kenya it's it's quite expensive to do it's not cheap and okay. because it's 50 50 that's that could be money down the drain if it doesn't work yeah. uh, so if you have the money if you have the financial st- uh, capacity to do it it's great, but what if you don't? Okay. Mm-hmm. In my situation, the chances are lower when you're overweight. So okay. do I want to okay. take about 2 million shillings and invest it in this procedure when, first of all, it is 50-50 on a normal weight, more mm-hmm. normal statement. For me, it's much less. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So number two, um, there is the issue of, uh, so that's inverted fertilization. There is, uh, there are many other ways. I wouldn't want to go into, I'm not a doctor, so I don't want to go into details of uh, right, what, right. what works and what doesn't, just so that I don't, con- you know, the, the listener doesn't think that, oh, okay, this will work, this will work. I think speak to your gynecologist, speak to your fert- uh, fertilization, uh, fertility specialist, understand the ways there is uh, there, there are hormones that you can be put on um, uh, foods and, st- and and diets that you can be on to increase uh, you know the your, your ovulation uh, not chances but uh, how well you ovulate and mm-hmm. the, the sperm count also you know there's a lot of things to that you can do uh, in my case what has been suggested as well is before IVF, uh, do have a weight loss surgery, for example. The weight loss okay. surgery will ensure that you are at the ideal weight 
and then you consider IVF and you have much higher chances. So okay. uh, why weight loss surgery? Why not just gym and diet? Again, I said it from the start. Many people have this notion that if you're fat, it's because you eat too much. So just stop eating too much and then you lose weight. <laughs> yeah. I don't oh, I can't, I can't think of anything more idiotic than having such a thought because right. like I said earlier we are in a generation where information is right at our fingertips you know on your phone you can go and google so when you spew out words like this that just make you look very stupid because you know you have the information go read and understand so like in my case where uh, um, tons of diets and nutrition advice has not worked exercise not working doctors have now clinically said, okay, you need to go for a weight loss. For example, one of the, uh, one of the um, suggestions was weight loss surgery before mm -hmm. IVF. So before you even just decide to go for IVF, there are so many other uh, things, you know, things that you need to consider. So, so again, ev for everyone, it's different. For every couple, it's different. For every mm -hmm. body type, it's different. So you must be able to speak to your... Um, your uh, fertility specialist or your gynecologist for you to be able to get what suits you. So for right. me, these options. Uh, apart from that, the other option is also obviously uh, adoption, or for Muslims we call it fostering. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've always been open to this idea. You see, so but then like many couples, like I said earlier, when you're in a relationship, there's two of you. When you're thinking about bringing a child into this world, uh, whether it's through, into your world, whether it's through conceiving naturally or, uh, or you know, clinically or adoption, it has to be a conducive or, uh, or something that you both agree to. So when you bring on adoption, maybe your husband will be very much for it, but maybe you're just not ready to accept that you're raising somebody else's child, which is fine. Uh, mm. Maybe it's the other way around. You're very ready to raise another child, somebody else's child as your own. Your husband isn't. Your husband isn't. So, or isn't ready now. Or maybe he's saying, no, I'm never going to do it. And then five years down the line, he's like, hey, you know, can we start thinking about it? So everyone, and like I said, um, for me, I've always looked at a marriage as a partnership, as a friendship. And the fact that you respect that this is a whole other person with a whole other brain and a whole other personality and mindset. And yours, you know, you are equally as different. And that things that need both of you to be on the same page about can take longer. I think mm. when you look at a marriage in that way and not like, oh, if you love me, you have to accept this for me. Or, oh, <laughs> we're married and I want this. And, you know, so I think um, that's how I've, that's how I, uh, approach my marriage and I think it uh, for in my case for example my husband initially said hey I'm, I'm not ready to to think about this you know uh, mm -hmm. give me some time if I change my mind I'll let you know and for me it was a hey, whenever you're ready I'm ready so you know you you do you and a mm -hmm. uh, couple of years down the line many many nights of prayer for me you know in terms of uh, Ramadan you know staying up at night saying mm -hmm. yeah you know give my give give me hope and give my husband open my husband's heart to this and many many years down the line of him doing his own reflection he said okay you know Najda if if you if you still want to I'm now ready for it and I think that that so for me that that channel recently opened up 
And um, the best thing about it, it was not forcing it on the other, on your partner, but, you know, mm. allowing them to understand that this is a decision they also need to want. And mm. it takes longer for the other partner. So I think uh, the options to have a child uh, of your own or at least raise somebody else, you know, an orphan or somebody, a child that's up for adoption, there are so many options to being a mother. And mm. um, I think that you just, you need to go do, do, do your due diligence, read, understand. Uh, adoption itself, being in it for one year now, we've been reading about it and understanding it and applying here and there. It's also not an easy thing. It comes with its own uh, uh, roller coaster of emotion. It comes with its own challenges and its own, uh, oh my God, anxiety and dread. It comes with a lot. And I think that's a whole other conversation for a whole other time. But right. um, <laughs> I'm also down, going down that road right now. And it's, it's, um, it's not easy. It's uh, not. You need to brace yourself. Mm. But again, once you know what you want and you know that it's, it's 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 worth it at the end so you mm-hmm. you decide to take that road um so yeah i think uh i think amazing that's, amazing i think that's that um after this talk everyone is just going to admire your beautiful and uh amazing relationship of understanding um <clears throat> with your husband right now and how you both have approached this so calmly number one I feel like you're not so calm about it um I, I'm sure you aren't <laughs> I'm sure yeah. you had your times um yeah. but you are both you know with each other and you both took this head on and you faced a lot and you're out here now being vulnerable about it and telling people that it's okay you know it's totally okay it's it's not weird you're not different you know and I think that's the beauty of it, um, and that's the beauty of our tests that we have to face in our lives, you know. We have to go through this um, whole cycle and come out and show that this is how it has changed me, and this is me, and this is why I went through this. And that's yeah. amazing. That's beautiful. And I, I'm sure all of us listening to you right now, we wish you and your husband, Asif, amazing amazing um human there um we wish you all the best for whatever it is that you guys take on now and we're super excited for you we're rooting for you and you guys go go just be you amazing selves um lastly Najda, we've come to the end <laughs> can you imagine um so lastly what did you tell a couple of listening to you right now i'm, I'm sure you told them hell a lot of gems right now um, but yeah, someone who's going through a similar journey like yours, any parting words for them? Yeah. Them yours. yeah. Thank you so much for all your kind words. You know, I mean, Farah, I mean, Amin, Amin, for all the, you know, prayers. And I just like to say that, you know, I thank God for everything and for everything I've been through, even the pain. And um, for anyone who's going through this, I would like to say, you don't have to suffer in silence. God sees you and is with you. I, along with an army of women, see you. We are fighting with you and praying for you. Infertility 
does not in any way define us as women. It's just part of our story. This is what you keep, need to keep reminding yourself. It does not define you. It's just part of your story. Let's be women that rise above the fear and the shame and talk about this taboo subject to bring hope to those who feel isolated. Let's be women who stand in unity to create an outlet for all of us in waiting. Let's be women that can boldly declare in faith that we will overcome infertility and our miracle is coming by the grace of Allah. So I think for all the other women, just stop asking women when they're getting pregnant. Thank you. <laughs> yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> right. Oh my God, that is amazing. Thank you so much, Najda Khan, for being part of our amazing postpartum series and for sharing your incredible story. I'm sure you inspired Nelly and you will continue to do so. Guys, if you're listening, please do follow Najda Khan. I'm sure we'll get to uh, hear more about her journey as she's giving everyone strength. And of course, Keith Cat- Catalyst Media for all the ladies. And do follow up on our postpartum series on all platforms. Thank you so much. With the tribe, it's a new age groove, one step at a time. Yeah, we move to the tune while we're set in the style. No, it is what it is. Chamu-